Well, we've dug out of the snow to bring you what you need and what you deserve. It is time once again for the Cubs Weekly Podcast, presented by Wintrust, exclusive home of Chicago Cubs checking, featuring free ATMs nationwide. So open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. And not only today are we coming to you like we usually have from the very beginning right here on the podcast on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts, but we're also trying a little something new, a new wrinkle, a curveball, so to speak. And uh, make sure to download the Marquee Sports Network app where we're going to be uploading the full podcast, but this time we're going to do it in video form as well as audio. So not only do you get to hear all of our terrific points, you also get to see Tony Andraki and uh, his clean shave that he's prepared for us today because we have plenty to get to. And uh, since our hands are so full, we brought in our guy, associate producer at Marquee Sports Network and also a video editor at Driveline Baseball. It's my man, Lance Brozdowski. And Lance, today we're going to take a quick look at the Cubs' top 20 prospects. Now, I know that there's prospects that play the field that also are out there on the mound. And it's not always an easy evaluation process when it comes to putting a grade with some of these cats. So how do you actually go out there and say, this guy gets this mark, that guy gets this mark, and then uh, we're still going to decide on this other guy? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I mean, that's a great question. I think uh, for the most part, um, it's talking to a lot of people who know a lot more about this stuff than me and sourcing opinions and stuff and getting understanding and perspective from people outside the Cubs organization um, that and see what they think of these guys. And, and the main thing is just like, We've talked about, as I know, I was talking to Tony about this a little bit, but it's, it's the amount of information and technology that the league as a whole has almost made public, you know, in the last couple of years on the pitching side of things is substantial compared to what we have on the hitting side. And I think for the most part, that's trickled down a little bit into scouting as well. Um, I mean, I could hop on to Baseball Savant and show you, you know, pitch movement chart for a guy like Kyle Hendricks and like, we can really dig into understanding like how he succeeds. But on the hitting side, it's still relatively it's simple, you know, like the analysis is simple and the technology hasn't really made its way towards the public space and the public understanding yet. And obviously there's scouts who, you know, most scouts kind of fall into one bin you're either better at evaluating pitchers or better at evaluating hitters. And you kind of go into that funnel. Obviously you see all of them to get an understanding, but um, the hitting side is still tough. Like it's tough to talk to other people and try to really dig into why a prospect is good. Cause that's really the difference. Like anyone can tell you their performance and stuff, but trying to understand how they're doing what they're doing, and to the level that they're doing it and what we think they could become is difficult mm-hmm. on the hitting side. And on the pitching side, it's just, it's crazy how much information we have. It's crazy how much information has been made public. And I really think that's trickled down into the scouting side. And it's not easy at all to evaluate a prospect. Like the hit rate is insane. You know, most scouts aren't really objectively measured on how good they are, you know? So you get a guy who scouts Mike Trout and then he becomes the next big thing or a bias. And it's like, wow, he's the best, but like that can make or break your career, right? It takes one guy. And uh, it's difficult. It's a really difficult process, but I had a lot of fun putting this together. Yeah. And Tony, I don't know if if you can't trust a guy when it comes to prospect evaluations that has a banjo with a a 10 gallon hat draped (laughs) over it in the background. And I don't know who you can trust, man. No, that's a good point. And who's the number eight behind you, Lance, as we're talking about it? I know we talked a little bit before we came on, but it's an old uh, Red Sox jersey or? No, it's an old California Angels uh, jersey. My dad had it when he played, and I, I loved it. And I played when I, when I played at war in softball beer leagues and stuff like that. So it's just a cool jersey. I like it. Nice. Well, yeah, I mean, on the topic of everything you talked about with information, how difficult was this process to put together this list with barely any information from 2020? I know you and I had a lot of conversations about it, you know, before you put together this final one through 20 list, but just can you talk us through that process and give the the listeners and viewers a little bit of an idea of what that was like with no minor league season in 2020? Yeah, the write-up going on marqueesports.com has a little bit of like a 200, 300 word intro that talks about this. And I, I view prospect lists as like a living organism almost, where when you're looking at it at a given point in time, when it's published, that's a snapshot you know, and the more information we gather allows us to update and understand. And then we re-rank and this is why there's mid-season updates, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, the main thing is like, we don't have anything from a lot of these guys. Like there are a lot of these guys we just haven't seen at all. Like a Burl Caraway has no professional experience. He's a college pitcher from DBU. You know, some of these other guys, international, like Christian Hernandez, he wouldn't have come over anyways, probably until later this year to whether Dominican summer league or come over to the AZL for instructs. But 
it's just hard. Like it's really hard. Like I, there was a couple scouts I talked to saw instructs this year in Arizona. So that gave us a little bit of an idea on Preciado and some of these guys the Cubs got from uh, in the U Darvish deal from the Padres. But a lot of these other guys were really kind of betting on what's going on with the player development. What, what the Cubs have told us, the guys, the podcast you guys have in that Dory is, is great information on this, but it's really difficult. We just kind of don't know. And I think that there's going to be a large recalibration going on on a lot of prospects. So I don't want to say that this is like the one point in time where prospect lists will be the most inaccurate they will ever be, but that's kind of where I'm leaning because we just don't know. Like a guy might come in, he might be two inches taller and have another 20 pounds of good weight and be throwing three miles per hour harder. And it's like that, that completely changes what you think of a, of a player and a scout's job is obviously to try to project that. But yeah. you know, when you see it, that's very different when you actually see something realized in terms of growth in any aspect, whether it be velocity or size, it's, it's huge. It recalibrates. And I, I think we're going to get a huge recalibration. And that's a great point you bring up there, Lance, especially when you're dealing with 17, 18, 19 year old kids in essence, because these guys are far from done growing. And some guys, they don't finish topping out when it comes to their you know, potential size until they're 21 years old. And then the velocity, they don't reach their, their final ceiling until they're 23, 24. So, you know, a lot of these guys are unfinished works, but, you know, you talked about there not being a whole lot of film out there on some of these cats and, you know, you don't have, you know, all the resources that you would usually have to make the a proper evaluation but when it comes to you know one through 20 and some of the other guys that you thrown on on the list down towards the bottom is there any film or is there any any game updates from them playing any winter ball perhaps in latin america um i don't think too many of these guys actually played winter ball the most recent is probably instructs for a lot of the ones okay. from about 10 to 20 um you know a lot of those guys ismail mena i know played winter ball yes in santana uh caraway was at alternate site um preciado was instructs too so that's kind of like the most recent game action update we got and even some of the alternate alternate site stuff i know as we've it's tony tony has reported like there's varying levels and ages of guys there well you have like triple a guys next to a ball guys so that like level of competition and mix is really interesting and i don't think as a as an as a like a league itself we don't really understand like what to do with some of that information either because you know you have guys getting drafted and get immediately pushed you know caraway has never faced a player better than you know, DBU's conference, which I don't remember the conference off the top of my head, but, you know, and then he goes to the alternate site and he's probably stepping in against like Brendan Davis. Like, I don't know if that happened, but there's a pretty good chance that it has. And like, yeah. and if Davis is, if you put Davis back in, uh, what do you call it? Uh, in DBU, like he's going to mash. So it's like the, the variability of levels and the rebalancing when these guys go to alternate site, like it complicates the information and it might be good. Like maybe down the road, we'll have more of this where we'll have more inter- team ranking of guys and playing each other and getting your feet wet against better competition much quicker but for now i mean um there hasn't been a lot of game action i don't think many of these guys are winner ball maybe amaya has i'm not sure if tony knows okay. but um otherwise yeah, he, no. he played a bit uh he wanted to get uh some at bats, so he went there and played just a bit but yeah that's like you said that's pretty much it we not a lot of game film on these guys over the last calendar yeah. year or so yeah, and you would think that some of these younger guys say, hey, we didn't have a minor league season. You, oh, what can I do? I can go down there. I can play a little winter ball. I can keep my swing sharp. I can keep my fastball in the zone. But like like you said, that we haven't seen a lot of those guys do that. Instructs was the last time a lot of them saw some real game action. So, Lance, let's get down to business here, man. We talked about the top 20 prospects. So let's give them the rundown, all the listeners and viewers out there at home. And let's start at the bottom, we'll go 15 through 20 or 20 through 15, whichever way you want to look at it. Riley Thompson, the right-handed pitcher, he's at 15, followed by Keegan Thompson, another righty at 16. Yason Santana, the shortstop, coming in at 17. Brooke Caraway, he's a lefty arm at 18. Big velocity, guys, you've told us a few times. Michael McAveen, he's a right-handed pitcher. And then rounding things out at 20, it's Ronnie Quintero, the backstop catcher, Lance. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Quintero is interesting. I, I, I think as a whole, you'll see the theme on this list. Maybe I'm overranking catchers a little bit, but I think in general, they're extremely underrated. And if you're mm -hmm. looking at a catcher as a potential to be a strong side platoon or even a weak side platoon at a major league level and defensively be strong with whatever we know about Roboumps aside, um, I think that that's really valuable. I think it's extremely undervalued for the most part as well. You, like you see Romine getting 1.5 million from the Cubs and a variety of other guys uh, getting decent contracts. Jitoro Muto getting over 20 million AAV, I think. And they're valuable. And even though like the war totals might not be insane, if you look at some of the advanced metrics and stuff, like the, the potential for this, like, this kid who comes from Venezuela, he's an international signee to be, you know, 
a platoon side catcher who can hit a little bit and field is the floor on him is really high in my opinion. I know catchers take a really long time to develop. So this might be more of a three-year project, four-year project for them. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy who's just a stalwart on this list for a while. Um, and who else we got here? Michael McAveen is a, is a reliever, a um, little bit of a velo spike. He's up to, I think, 100 as well. So you, you, that's a theme you'll see on this list. Uh, I know we were talking pre-show about that, but velocity is everywhere on here. Caraway is another one with velocity from the left side specifically. I love his floor as a reliever. He is just a relief prospect i believe the cubs are going to bring him up as such so there isn't really much potential for him to start with McAveen, there is a little bit of potential to start but i i do really like the floor of caraway and the fact that the cubs endorsed him by sending him to alternate so alternate site excuse me so quickly last year mm-hmm. out of dbu yeah and it, i know lance as we talked about it too like going through the the list and putting it together caraway was a guy that we talked a little bit about because he's a, he may be in the major leagues in 2021 but like you said, the relief prospect is, it puts the ceiling a little bit lower. So is that kind of why you had him there at 18 versus higher for a guy who, you know, could be a, a potentially dominant reliever with a very good breaking ball and a uh, fastball that can reach triple digits. Is that kind of the thought process behind that? Yeah, it's, it's really difficult to kind of future value a reliever and rank him next to a starting pitcher, for example, or a guy that maybe has a floor of kind of being like a fifth starter, not really have too much upside beyond that, especially with how reliever usage has changed over the recent years and how much more valuable it is to, you know, with the three batter minimum, but also like just the ability to got for guys to have multi-inning roles is extremely important. So it's really like, we're going to get back to this with Bradley Marquez and Riley Thompson and a couple other guys as well. But um, yeah, Caraway is the first one on this list where it's just, I, I'm, I don't want to say with 100% certainty, there's nothing is certain on prospect lists, but Caraway is, is probably going to be a reliever. I think the Cubs will train him as such and will shoot him up through the minor leagues as a reliever. So the idea that like, if you look at like, a, I don't want to, I'll jump around the central, but Josh Hader is always a name that comes to mind in terms of like elite relievers. And he, as a player, if you were to future value him as an advanced scout, looking at the Brewers roster is maybe, you know, like a seven, which is really good. That's like double plus two standard de- deviations above the average major leaguer. And he's probably as valuable as like a guy who's a six, which is like a one standard deviation above the major league level starter. Like those guys are probably comparable value. So you have to kind of adjust it a little bit. So if Caraway had like a chance to start, I would have him higher up on this list. I'd probably have him around like a Riley Thompson, who's a guy who we're kind of on the fence about whether he's going to start or relieve, depending on how he develops a little bit of a cross body delivery. You know, he's a little bit of an interesting one. I like him. He's like kind of Arietta ish in that respect. Um, it comes to had success with that profile, but you know, it's tough to like put Caraway above a guy, especially if like the absolute ceiling of Caraway is like maybe something like a hater, you know, like that's extremely like maybe low probability just because hater is so incredible as a pitcher, but say he's 80% of hater, 70% of hater, like relative to other players, it's, it's really hard. Uh, and this is something that I imagine every team kind of has their own structure on how they value guys and uh, it's going to deviate team to team. All right, Lance, so quality breakdown on guys 16 through 20. So let's continue with where we were at and let's go 14 through 10. And we'll start at 10. It's Chase Strumpf, second baseman, Ryan Jensen at 11, a right-handed pitcher, Christian Hernandez, the shortstop, seem to be a lot of shortstops. That's the new athlete position these days. Corey Abbott, a right-handed pitcher at 13. And then Ishmael Mena, the outfielder, sliding in at 14. What's the breakdown there? Yeah, this is a fun mix of guys as well. I kind of had these tiered out. So we're, we're splitting into a different tier here between, um, I believe, let's see, right around Corey Abbott. So Ismail Man is probably more grouped in with that 15 to 20. He's, a, he's okay. similar in terms of uh, like variability, really. Like he's an outfielder. He's currently playing center. Most scouts think he'll probably add a little bit more weight and he'll move to a corner. And this is a theme you're going to see. It's like, okay, we think this 16-year-old, 17-year-old is going to add more weight. And then it's a matter of how the mobility sticks with that added weight in relative terms to the power development. So he, we think maybe Mana has the bat if he adds more weight and adds more power to stick as a corner outfielder, um, maybe a po- as opposed to a center fielder. But as a lot of these guys, they're going to play that premium position up through the minors until they're moved off. This is why you see a lot of guys getting to the higher minors playing shortstop, and then eventually at the last minute move to second base or third base. There's just there's kind of no development loss by moving them off at a later date. So Mana, we expect him to kind of play center for an extended period of time. A uh, ton of variability in, in a guy like this just because he's so young, you know, and it's it's difficult to project them out. But um, Mena has a lot of loud tools, which I think is appealing. And I think that's probably why the Cubs wanted him from the Padres. And the Padres system is so deep. I, I have to imagine there's just so many guys in that system that 
um, pop up and no one really kind of considers because they have 10 other guys that are better. But Mena is a pretty good prospect. Like he should be top 20, I think, on every list, probably top 15 on every list because of the variability and the upside with him. Um, and then Christian Hernandez is a really tough one. International signing. I had a lot of difficulty ranking, ranking him just because the video is, you know, from probably not particularly too recent. They signed him on January 15th or whatever the adjusted date was for J2 this year. Um, and they, I know the Cubs love him, but it's just, it's so hard. These guys kind of take a year or two when they come stateside to adjust. And then from there, we'll see kind of what happens. But he's another guy we expect him to stick it short. Average tools across across the board, and there's probably a lot of variability there. Again, really, really young, tough to gauge. And it's again, it's we were talking about like ranking guys. It's really tough to rank like a Christian Hernandez next to a Corey Abbott, who we're pretty confident is probably going to come up. He's 40 man right now. He's going to come up at some point this year, probably later in the year. Not exactly sure when. There's a good probability of that. And he plays kind of like a, a fifth starter, fourth starter role. Fourth starter would be like kind of the absolute upside. He's probably more of a fifth starter, but. Um, there's a good chance also that he can end up in a multi-inning relief role and you have to balance those, but he's in triple A and he's going to come up right now and we're ranking him next to Christian Hernandez. So it's, it's really like we're looking long-term, how, how are these guys going to project out? And then what do we think that ultimate value is and how they're projecting out? And then we put them next to each other and it's, it's difficult. It's really hard. It's, it's, I imagine for someone who doesn't really look up prospect lists too much. And you look at a guy who's 16 versus like a Corey Abbott, who's like 23 or 24 probably. And you're like, how on earth do, are they next to each other? Just because they're so different in terms of timetable. But this is the difficulty of a scout. It's, it's really hard to go to instructs and look at 16 year olds and then, you know, send that same scout to the Midwest league and look at 22 year old college guys who are sitting there for the first time and, you know, it's, it's part of being a scout. It's really hard. And this is why you get trades because there's mismatches between organizations and value. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the wrap on that, on that 10 to 15 ish, 10 to 14 ish window, I would say. Well, and, yeah. and Tony, before you jump in here real quick, uh, I just want to, you know, this is for, for both of you guys. I mean, can you just imagine how tough the evaluations are when it comes to, especially internationally, when you're evaluating 15, 16, 17 year olds, and you're trying to say, okay, this is where this guy's going to fit. This is his ceiling. This is what he does well. These are the positives. These are his negatives. And the, the dude's only 16 years old. Yeah. I mean, can you, I mean, how big of a difference were, were, were you, Lance, from 16 to 22? I mean, I'm sure it's night and day when it comes to athleticism, when it comes to capabilities and, and what you were able to do and what you were not able to do. Absolutely. No, I, I think uh, one thing that Scott told me that I, I want to bring up now that I think is appropriate is like, the term upside, I think, is heavily overused in the prospect community just because every player has upside. You can find a level of upside in any player. But the reality is, is a player development organization, like or the player development within an organization allows the player to actualize or realize an amount of yeah. that upside. And that is so vital in prospect rankings. And I think it's important that the Cubs have done what they've done in the last couple of years in terms of booing it with guys like Craig Breslow and Justin Stone on the hitting side. Mm -hmm. That is extremely important. Like you can say anybody on this list has upside. I could give you 500 players in baseball who have upside, but sure. it's, it's all about what that organization does well, how they communicate the technolo technology and inf information to the player, come up with an actionable plan for that player to improve. Is, and that's so, so, so important. And I, I think I wrote this entire list and did not use the word upside once, which I'm extremely nice. proud of. I try to do every single time I write about prospects. Yeah, Tony, I, I, I can't, I can't wait, Tony, until there's a, there's a, a, a prospect that's out there and they say, this guy right here, you know, 17 years old, plenty of downside, plenty yeah, of downside exactly. on this guy. <laughs> no, I know. I, like you asked about 16. I, I know I had no upside at 16. So nobody was throwing that word around for good <laughs> reason back then. But, but yeah, like you said, Lance, I think it's really interesting about the player development. The Cubs are making a big gamble. And I wrote about this at marqueesportsnetwork.com a few weeks ago that they really, with acquiring all these young guys from the Padres, signing Christian Hernandez, they're making a huge bet on player development right now. And, and that's why I think this 10 to 14 range that we're talking about is such an interesting range right now for where the Cubs, where this Cubs prospect list is, because you look at guys like Chase Strumpf and Ryan Jensen, guys who were 2019 draft picks, and then Christian Hernandez, as we just mentioned, you know, 17 year old who hasn't played pro ball yet. These guys have very little pro experience. So Lance, in your mind, like how big of a jump could these guys make a year from now, are we talking about the, the potential, the upside, to go back to that word, of not only being top 10 prospects, but maybe even being like top five in the Cubs system? Yeah, for sure. I think that there's some variability there, especially with Ryan Jensen is probably the one that I put that tag on. I think Chase Trump is a little bit of like a low volatility outcome guy, but that's not bad. Low volatility is probably good. I think a lot of teams would love to have 10 prospects who are not volatile. 
because I think Trump's going to have some major league role. Like the hit tool is really good. He comes from Pac-12, elite conference in, in college baseball, and he hit really well there. And the hit tool is extremely polished. If he had a 2020 since COVID, he probably would have flown up, maybe even gone at bats at double A. He's super quick moving. He's a UCLA kid. Um, it, he kind of profiles actually to me a little bit like a Nico Horner. Um, and Horner moved relatively quick through the cup system as well, coming from Stanford. But Chase Trump, I think maybe there's a little bit less volatility there with, but Ryan Jensen is another college guy. Mm-hmm. And this is the theme we're going to get into with one of my favorite guys on this list. And I know Tony likes him too, Cole Franklin, when we get into the next batch of, of guys here. But uh, the Cubs player development on the pitching side, we've seen this actualized with a guy like Alzale in terms of him adding back his sinker prior to 2020 and then during 2020 adjusting the differential between his curveball and slider to create two distinct pitches which is a standard practice and kind of pitch design sessions on a very surface surface level how they do that is extremely complex and different and has to do with mechanical cues and such but a guy like jensen he comes in with a strong fastball but the secondaries aren't as good and that's again that's a report probably from 2019 we haven't seen him in a while so when you go back to the player development side and you want to project a guy better than what a scout is saying, you have to think about what the player development can do with that player. And this goes back to what I talked about earlier in this podcast. It's just, we know a little bit more about how to adjust pitchers and what to look for in pitchers. So we look at a guy like Jensen, the Cubs have a bit of a track record now with developing potentially above average secondaries with guys who maybe have an average secondary. And if they can do that with Jensen, then the upside on Jensen shoots up a ton. He turns into a college arm. He's got a ton of innings on his arm. He probably leans maybe in that weird multi-inning relief role versus starter. But if they give him two secondaries, say he develops a changeup through pitch design with Breslow and a variety of other people, or say that that slider becomes more of a plus pitch, then he's kind of like fastball slider. And he kind of mitigates that a little bit with a changeup to eliminate a platoon split. He becomes a guy who shoots up into the top 10 immediately, you know, and it's just, this is why I think like, again, the player development side is so interesting just because we haven't seen these guys in a year. A lot of these guys probably had action items in the off season and through alternate site and stuff, mm-hmm. which were like, okay, we're going to work on, you know, developing a second, a better secondary for you. And then scouts are going to see them this coming season. And whenever the minor leagues get going and go, okay, he did not have that pitch. Now I have to reevaluate how I think of him as a prospect. So I like Jensen as a guy that could shoot up here um, more than I think probably anyone from 10 to 20, just because I think he's again, proximity is pretty good. He's probably going to be up maybe sometime in 2022. I think maybe not later this year. Um, and if they adjust him into something that's a little bit more valuable in terms of the secondaries, you're looking at a three pitch guy from the right-handed side with good velocity. And that's textbook Cubs have had success with that. Any organization is probably gonna have success with that. And I trust the Cubs player development on the pitching side a ton. We've seen it with Alzale. I think we're going to see a ton more this year too. Yeah. Lance, and I don't, I want to go on a limb here. I would say that if you're a young pitcher and you have that velocity and your second and third pitches just aren't there, then that, that would lean towards more upside because then you have still that development and say, if he gets this, it gets this change up. If he gets this hammer or the slider, if he gets that worked out, then imagine what he could finally be. And, and then that's, that's part of the scary part when it comes to a lot of these prospects is that these guys that they have that fastball there, it's just, they need to work on some of those secondary pitches and, and some of those out pitches and, and get those things working to have them in their back pocket at their disposal. And once they do, like we said, this list, there could be a lot of dangerous guys in here. And uh, that, that, that dangerous list, it, it keeps on going because we take a look at number nine through five. And this is my favorite bunch. I'm going I'm to be completely honest too, with you. Actually. because th- For real. And, and there, there's, there's two Coles in there, albeit one Cole <laughs> spells his name a little different. And there's a homegrown shortstop from Mount Carmel, Ed Howard, coming in at number five. Ed Howard's at five. Cole Franklin with the K is at six, the right-handed pitcher, then Reginald Preciado. He's a jack-of-all-trades. He can play shortstop, outfield, third base. Christopher Morell, he's a third baseman. And then Cole Roterer, the outfielder, at number nine. Way to bring that one home, man. Yeah, no, you got to have a couple Coles in here. This is like, this has to be, regardless of the Cubs, this is your I, favorite I prospect I didn't see list, my right? name on the list. I, I, I know, mean, You sorry. haven't seen the below lately, Lance? I mean, come on now. <laughs> well, you need to change your spelling to K-O-H-L like that. I mean, yep. maybe if it, it, it give me a little extra cash. I mean, I'll tell you that Coles <laughs> cash is around the holiday season. It's popping, man. I'm telling you, it's like, it's like greenbacks when you walk in there. We'll get a sponsorship going. We got you. Yeah. That's a good idea. Cole, Cole Franklin, though, is legitimately, I think, one of my favorite prospects in the system. Um, okay. And that comes as a mix of endorsement from the Cubs organization, uh, as well as just kind of, we're going back to this player development thing on the pitching side again. He comes in with a, a strong fastball that I think was about 92, 94 prior to this season. And then we've heard Matt Dory say that he could potentially be up to 95, 96, topping out 98. That's, it turns, it goes from a little bit below average major, major league velocity to above average major league Okay, I, I want to know, is that projectability? Because a, a guy throwing, okay, he's consistently throwing 92 to 94, but then they jump up and say he has the, the ceiling of 98. Where, where does that extra velo come from? 
Yeah, that's. A, I mean, again, we don't. This is the problem. We don't really know. We haven't. We don't have public radar information. We don't have scouts going out to games to see Cole in probably a year and a half to two years. Like I, I don't exactly know how noticeable this was potentially in 2020 spring training. So you'd have to go back to like fall 2019 to get that velo. And now the Cubs are saying that he's potentially sitting 93 to 95. So like. You know, topping out 98, that's a little bit more variability. I meant, like, you think about starters to relievers, like, generally those guys get a little bit of an uptick. So I'm not exactly sure how the Cubs are terming that in terms of how they view him. You know, maybe if you put Cole Franklin in the pen, he's probably pumping 96, 98 if he's doing it in a short stint, 2013, between, you know, 10 and 20 pitches or so. But um, we'll see, really. I, I don't know. I'm going off the Cubs here in terms of what they're saying. But Lance, where, where were you at when I was playing ball? And I needed that projectability, 92 to 94. It could translate to, to 98. You weren't even born. <laughs> I probably wasn't. So there's that. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. No, and I mean, the crazy thing about Franklin, I like him so much, is that he already has what many consider like the best changeup in the organization. So you're telling me that a guy with velocity has the best changeup. And then we go back to what we're talking about. He's got a high raw spin curveball, which means that the pitch spins a lot, which allows it to Mm -hmm. capture a ton of movement. But the efficiency of that spin is what actually creates the movement of the pitch. This is why you have highly efficient four-seamers that move a little bit more up in the zone, the Garrett Cole fastball, the Verlander fastball, et cetera. And then curveballs is the opposite, or it's very similar, excuse me. The efficiency of a curveball allows that pitch to move more in either horizontally or vertically. So if he has high raw spin, he has high potential but the efficiency of the pitch actually allows you to actualize that potential. So we've heard raw spin on Cole Franklin. We haven't heard efficient on raw on Cole Franklin, but that flip right there is something that I'm fairly is, is a standard practice in most pitch design sessions. You go into a pitch design session, you look at a guy high raw spin. Okay. Why is this curl not moving as much or getting as much swing and miss? Ah, the axis is a little bit off. Let's adjust that potentially get that pitch moving more. And when there's more aggregate movement, the correlation between that and missing bats is substantially higher. So look at a guy like Cole Franklin. You're telling me he has a fastball that potentially could get up to, you know, 93, 95. We'll see on that. We're, we're kind of trusting the Cubs there. He's already got a above average to plus changeup, which is, again, saying that it's between, you know, uh, around like a standard deviation above the major league average, which is really, really good. That's like top 20% baseball-ish, you know. Difference in velocity, 8 to 11 miles an hour. Is that pretty much where he's at right now? Yeah, there's like two classes of changeup. There's the ones that miss based off velocity. Then you have like the Lucas Giolito type, which are a little more like – front to back where it's like Gilito throws this change where it's like only like eight ish off, but yeah, he's got depth. So he's got the Kyle Hendrick style, like that pitch is a little lower velocity. And I imagine it's probably eight to 10. So we're probably looking at like 85 ish. And if he's throwing 95, which is great, that's perfect. And especially if that's getting good drop and run and in the arm action on, it's good. The feel for a change is extremely important. And then you add in potentially an average to above average curveball if the Cubs can do their magic on the pitch design side. You have a starting pitcher, really good frame. He's online with his livery, which is something Scout told me, which I really liked. You know, this kid is like the prototypical pitcher that is going to shoot up. I'm shocked that he wasn't on some top 100s that have come out in the industry, honestly. But again, and we're talking about this recalibration. I'm not going to be shocked at all if you tell me in three months that we're looking at Cole Franklin in double A, you know, um, and all of a sudden he looks like, you know, as good, if not better than like an Owsley. Like, that's why I like him. Like, I just think he's, he's right in this mold. And we talked a lot about Cole Franklin, but Ed Howard, super projectable. He's like, he's really interesting because uh, the variability of the bat is really what's interesting here. Everyone thinks he can kind of stick at short. And again, he's another guy that's going to grow a little bit, but we think that there's a little bit more projectability in terms of him growing and adding power and sticking at short. And if you talk about the mold of guys who have power at shortstop, you funnel down to like some of the top players in baseball. So I love that. Um, he's another guy that uh, we're going to get our first, first looks at. We only see him in high school. The showcase circuit that he was on in 2019 uh, would have been relatively comparable to lower minors, um, probably like rookie ball or short season. That's like where a lot of those guys immediately go. So we'll kind of see, like, we'll see him against better competition. We'll see him against better breaking balls, et cetera. Preciado is a guy who maybe is a little bit underrated, honestly. Like, I, I love that piece coming back on the Darvish trade. He's a guy that I think many people think will move to sh- uh, third base or a corner outfield spot, depending on who he develops again. But right now he's going to play short for a little bit, and we'll see. But most people think it's going to move to one of the corner spots. But it's switch hitting profile. He's got a little bit of pop. It's a really good combination of a variety of tools that – Again, if the Cubs player development hits on him, we'll actualize and run him through. Morell and Rodier were two guys that were in South Bend in 2019. They probably would have been in high A, potentially double A in 2020. A um, little bit more kind of non-volatile profiles if we want to talk about like a strong style. Rodier is probably more of like a platoon corner outfielder. Again, like really good example. We don't know how much weight he's going to add. If he adds more power, he could probably do strong side platoon because he's left-handed bat. 
in a corner outfield spot. But if he can maintain some of that mobility, then you start looking at him like a center fielder, um, which again, shoots up that profile, lowers the bar for the offense a little bit. If you're hitting in center, as opposed to hitting in a big corner outfield spot with defense isn't as important. And Morel's a really fun makeup guy. Makeup is something that I know a lot of scouts talk about. It's essentially one of the most important things left in scouting is figuring out makeup on guys and trying to get information on that, seeing them on the field, how they interact on the field, how they interact with clubbies off the field, et cetera. It's, it can be the difference in a variety of cases between a player who is above average and actualizes that and a player who never makes it. And I think that's talked about very little, honestly. And Morel's makeup is probably some of the best in the organization. Um, some scouts absolutely love it. And he's a guy that maybe there's some free swinging right now, but he's got really quick hands, loud, uh, loud power, loud pop. BP is fun to watch with him. And if that makeup kicks up, you know, and actually allows him to start hitting some higher level breaking balls and stuff, then you're looking at a guy who will stick at third base, has the arm to stick at third base on the left side of the field and has the profile to be a future third baseman in terms of the offensive profile. So I think he's really fun. I, I really like him as a prospect. I think he's also a guy that the Cubs organization will love and fans will love as well, because I imagine he's going to be vocal and he's going to be one of those like on field leaders like a bias. Yeah, actually, I, I wanted to bring up the makeup. So I'm glad you talked about it, too. So like with a guy like Morrell, how does makeup impact uh, player development and, and his ability to rise the ranks of the Cubs system before he gets to the big leagues? It's huge. It's a huge part that, again, like I, I just I just mentioned, like that it's like scouting has funneled down to a lot of database. Like we know that the teams like the Astros are going to rely a little bit heavier on data and stuff in terms of understanding what minor league track man saying about a guy. So we look at the data on a guy and we understand that, which and kind of, when you data, say data with the Houston Astros, of course, you mean trash cans. <laughs> potentially. potentially. <laughs> no comment. No comment. Maybe um, a little late on that one, but Hey, yeah, it's all good. <laughs> such a 2019 joke. It, it's all right. It's, it's, it never gets old. It's like, it's like the 2021 version of crying Jordan. If you're making fun of the Astros, <laughs> exactly. it's all right. There's a threshold on that. Exactly. But yeah. So like, this is why like the, the Astros probably as a whole organizationally I'm theorizing here, um, are relying on data and cutting scouts, which is fine to do. But a lot of the organizations that do it best are combining the two, like the synergy between the data and the scouting side is so important because I imagine there are a ton of free agent discussions and prospect discussions and organizations that are like, okay, the data says this and we have scouts that say this, like how do we reconcile the two and make a decision off this? And a lot of that scouting stuff is makeup based. Like the relationship side of scouting is so important. And that side comes down to makeup, understanding a player's makeup, understanding you know, okay, this kid has super loud tools and we think he could be really good, but the makeup is a questionable thing. Like the worth ethic might be not, not be as good. And again, that's something that's not publicized a lot. Like we talk about the upside, you joked about downside. Like we rarely hear about guys having poor makeup just because organizations don't kind of want that out there. It stays on like the, the kind of lower inner circles of organizations yeah. from team to team, et cetera. So you just kind of don't hear about it at all on the public side. And I think that's why, you know, for the most part, it's so valuable to a scout. It's extremely valuable for a scout to understand the makeup of guy, the work, uh, the work ethic, the family background, you know, how he's interacting with teammates. It's just, it's vital to performance. And it's something that I think for the most part is probably overlooked in nearly every prospect because of that idea that we just never hear about bad makeup guys until, you know, it's too late and it's four years later. And then someone comes out mm -hmm. and says, yeah, he was a tough clubhouse guy to be around, but Morel's the opposite of that. And I think that if this, if people look at this and consider that an overrank, then I'm fine with putting that on makeup because it's so strong from what I've heard from people. Yeah. And when it comes to makeup, that's one of the biggest things you always want to find out what a guy's character is all about. I know once upon a time, you know, when I, when I worked in, in NFL circles, Jay Glazer once told me one of the things that he would do when it came to trying to really track down and, and get the nuts and bolts on a draft prospect, what would he do? He would go on campus and he talked to the guys on the wrestling team because more times than not wrestlers, they kind of fly under the radar. Nobody really pays attention. Wrestlers, they hang out amongst themselves. But he would ask the wrestlers, how would these guys treat you know, other athletes, whether it be, you know, in, in the athletic dorms, in the weight room? How would they treat other wrestlers if you were a, a football or a basketball player or just depending on, you know, th those those intersport lines and how would they get crossed? So, you know, that, that's one of the biggest things when it comes to makeup, because you, you don't want a guy with all the talent in the world, but with with an attitude that you don't want to be anywhere near him in the same room. So that, that's worth its weight in gold for sure. And speaking of weight in gold, you know, these last four prospects, one through four, these are the guys that we're, we're probably going to see a whole lot of this season playing at 1060 West Addison. And we're going to start at four, go all the way to one. And Albert Alzali, we've already seen him a yep. season ago. I and mean, we saw him, he had electric stuff. He, you know, he had some solid outings right there. Looks to be plenty of upside 
for 2021 there. <laughs> I'm getting lazy. That's what I'm doing. You said you went and made all these evaluations, didn't use the word once. I'm going to see how many times I can actually use it moving forward. And then at three, it's Trey Marquette. On the, on the graphic. Upside. Yeah. Upside? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. You, should, you, should like, you should put it like as big as possible and then make all the names just as small as possible. Just, just, just to accentuate the upside right here. No, not not really. But at, at three, it's Braylon Marquez, another guy we've seen plenty of. Miguel Amaya, the, the 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 backstop right there. Who I mean, everyone is singing this guy's praises. And at number one, it's the outfielder Brendan Davis. Yeah, the crown jewel of this system for me is Brendan Davis. I know some other outlets had Marquez one. I think it's yeah. squarely Brendan Davis one. Um, okay. And I'll get Why to that. that. It's not. A, it's not. A, yeah, it's not a detriment to Marquez at all because. This gets into the whole idea of like, how do you view Marquez? Like they're going to develop him. We think as a starting pitcher, especially with some openings in the fourth and fifth role, but there's a good chance that he ends up as a full-time reliever. And we go back to that Josh Hader comparison I made, like if he's a seven reliever or a six reliever, if he's a standard deviation above the major league average or two standard deviations above, that's comparable to about a grade lower on the pitching side or position player side, for example. So it's, it's difficult to like balance those two elements of Marquez, in my opinion. Because if we're looking at him truly as a reliever long-term, a multi-inning reliever, it changes his value a little bit. And it could be really valuable, but like even a Josh Hader is only putting up like a couple war per year. And I, I understand like it's really difficult to get these high leverage outs and like that may not be encompassed totally in war. I fully understand that. But if we're just looking at like the raw, like understanding of value, Brendan Davis is could hit middle of the order on a championship lineup and play a strong right field. I, I absolutely love that. Like, I don't understand how that profile is not above a guy with a little bit of mix on, you know, the reliever started balance. And again, it's not a mark knock on Marquez at all. Like I still have Marquez as like a major league average regular or better. And I have Brendan Davis as like a better than major league average outfielder. And that's just so important. I think Brendan Davis has, we've seen two years in a row now when he's gone to instructs in spring training, he's put on good weight, strong weight, which has allowed his power projection to jump up. And that's been the question, I think, if you ask why, why Brendan Davis has jumped up so much, saying two years ago, maybe he was like in the 10s to 20s. And we were kind of like, okay, he's drafted. He's interesting. Like, let's kind of see what happens. But the ability for him to add this weight, stay mobile, and jump up the power, the raw power and the game power, what game power is, what he'll actualize in game, raw power is more BP power. And to have both of those jump up in unison and the hit tool to maintain around like major league average, we're looking at a guy who could potentially hit about 270 with about 27 plus home runs. And he could play a good right field. Like I, I, it's, that's so valuable to say that that's like a, a decent outcome, a reasonable outcome, and not one that we think is in like a max potential outcome. As we talked about with some of these other guys is so valuable to an organization. I think that he's even a little bit underrated. I've seen him get some top 50 love and top 100 lists and such. Um, I just love the profile. I think I'd probably bet a little bit more. And I think some scouts I talked to do a little bit more on bats than arms, which gets back to where our idea of like, how do we kind of evaluate them? We think we're maybe understand more about pitchers and therefore a little more critical. But if we see a hitter like Davis, we go, okay, that's what a good hitter looks like. And therefore we shoot him up on top of lists. So I'm a huge Brennan Davis man, fan. I think that there's a little bit of a gap between him and the rest of the guys on this list. And I think we'll see that come to fruition this year. Um, and then Amaya, we talked very early on about in Quintero and catchers. Uh, Amaya is a similar mold. Like I have Amaya above Marquez because a major league catcher, strong side platoon major league catcher could play uh, good defense, frame well. We're not sure about what's going to happen with Rodump, so I kind of took that out of the equation. Um, and have a decent bat, decent hit tool, a little bit of power. If he's like a 260 hitter with 15 home runs, that's above the major league average for a catcher, which is, again, a reasonable outcome for Amaya. And we know he works well with pitchers. He's been in spring training. I think this will be his fourth time working in spring training in some capacity on the major league roster. So he's been around the team a ton. And obviously the Cubs, I think, trust him as like the future backstop of this organization. And that's so, it's so valuable. It's so, it's so hard to get catchers. Like it's hard to get a valuable catcher. Most catchers you look at the major league level have one or two. They can frame well. And therefore we platoon them with a guy who can maybe hit a little bit better or they work well with an individual pitcher, but the overall value of that is, you know, difficult. We're not exactly sure if he's like good in the outcome. So I love him in that respect. And then Marquez, I love as well. Again, I just have these two guys above him. It's I, I'm not going to debate anyone in any direction. You think Marquez is a little bit of better future value than Amaya. I get it better than Davis. I get it. I disagree, but I get it. And Marquez, again, it bounces out on this reliever versus starter profile. The most encouraging thing for him on the starter side is that we saw him come up last year and throw like an inning in on the, on the South side. I remember, and he threw his change up like 30% of the time. And it was a really small sample, but that was always the pitch that we weren't hundred percent sure if he was ever going to develop. And the fact that he comes out and pumps that pitch in a bunch of times to me, even if it's not good, I don't think that outing was particularly good, but that's okay. Like the fact that he went in there, he was throwing gas left side, really good slot. 
you know, fastball looked good, the slider looked devastating. And then he's throwing this changeup that we didn't really expect. If you turn him into a guy who has three pitches, you're starting to see how he could become more of a starter than reliever. And if that changeup never develops, you know, maybe he never finds the command for a starting role. The fact that he has that in his back pocket might allow him to work against right-handed hitters a little bit better and allow him to work in a multi-inning role. Yeah, Lance, you know, I, I want to go out there and I want to ask you, is, is there such an infatuation with catchers? Because in 2021, it's no longer a natural position. It's not like, okay, yeah, you know, this guy, X player has played catcher since he was uh, five years old. You don't really see that as much anymore. There's more converted catchers. So when you see a guy who can swing it and he can defend from behind the dish, you, you, you want to jump on those guys because they don't have them as, as, as many as they used to have, you know, back, back 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, it's, it's very true. I actually wonder, I, I think a lot of people might even be differential to catchers on most lists where they're just like, they take a really long time to develop. Therefore, I'm not going to rank them next to other guys and just kind of be wrong on all of them. But I, I guess the scouts that I talked to have kind of convinced me that like, it should be kind of the opposite. Like if you see a guy who think can be good, you should probably overrank him because there's a good chance that he ends up being a valuable player at a position where there is not a lot of value otherwise. So as a whole, you might look at top 100 lists and be like, well, there's not a lot of catchers on here. Um, but I think that that is probably one of the biggest differences when you then turn to an organization list in an organization preference list. For example, if you do like in a player to be named later trade, you submit a preference list or something like an organization probably has valuations on other teams prospects. And I think that there's a little bit of a gap there where the public side might not be too interested in catchers because they take a lot of time to develop upside. Isn't that great when it's great. It's GTN real Muto, which is amazing. But at the same time, like JT Muto is probably not gonna win an MVP award. And it's like, it's just a little less like, fun it's a little less appealing but to organizations again it's super valuable so i think that i tried to kind of blend those both in here and take that organization perspective of like it's really valuable to have a catcher who can be a strong side platoon guy catch yeah. 100 games can manage the staff well can be an at better than average catcher on the offensive side and also be average or better defensively that's like it's incredibly valuable to an organization sure. when we get away from the the top 20 list to lance i know there's a bunch of honorable mentions you mentioned in the article on marqueesportsnetwork.com, but some of the guys, you know, Jordan Nwogu, who was just drafted this past summer. I know Cole's going to ask about Luke Little. So don't even, don't even say his name. Don't even say it. Tony, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this one. We're going to get to Luke going. Little in just a second. I, I, I want the floor for that question because I, I have to know what's going on right now with this kid. I promise. Um, but okay. Lance, I wanted to talk to you about guys like Justin Steele, Manny Rodriguez, who are on that list. Two guys who are on the 40-man roster, we could potentially see at Wrigley Field in 2021, but they've also had injuries. Last year, it was uh, a biceps injury for Manny Rodriguez. A couple of years ago, um, you know, Justin Steele had an injury, missed almost the entire year too. So how, how does the injury impact those guys in the development? And uh, two guys who may have been on the list, maybe if not for those injuries, right? Yeah, totally. I think that any of these honorable mentions, you can make a pretty good case for being in that like 17 to 20, 16 to 20 window. Um, I just kind of went with who I thought I liked a little bit more and, and other scouts that I talked to liked as well. So yeah, the honorable mentions is, is a fun crop of guys. The injury stuff is really difficult, especially again with a, an absence of a season to see like if a guy's fully recovered from it, you have to kind of trust the organization in that respect. We think Manny Rodriguez is fully recovered. I imagine a lot of these guys are fully recovered. I hope none of them are coming into spring with injuries. But again, that ramp might ramp back up against live pitching and going back into a workload of like 100-ish innings for a lot of these guys might be really difficult. And I have to imagine a lot of teams on the health and performance side are thinking about how to manage that in a way that will allow the guys to be healthy as possible long-term through this season, just because the ramp up is so big. Like they could say as, as much as they want that like alternate site replicated a major league environment, but like, I think most guys will tell you that like game competition and that adrenaline and that is, oh, yeah. is different than what you're going to get if you're in like live ABs or something. Like there's gradations to like the importance of that. But yeah, Justin Steele, I think it will probably be up at some point this year. I'm not sure if he's 40 man, Tony, um, off the yeah. top of my head, but um, yeah, he is. yeah. And he, Manny Rodriguez, again, um, Steele is a little bit more of a profile that could bounce between like a Tyson Miller style two to three inning guy or Manny Rodriguez, I think is a little bit more of a true reliever in that respect, but we'll see how the Cubs decide to develop him again. They develop a couple of our pitches on him, use pitch design, use Breslow and a variety of those tools. And next thing you know, we could be, we could be looking at a little bit more there. Um, but yeah, injuries are tough. Uh, really, really hard. Just because again, we're looking at, we don't have much information. The teams are probably going to be relatively positive on a lot of guys, as you, as I imagine the media understands and we'll regurgitate back to the public and stuff. So yeah, we had who else we have an honorable mentions. We had uh, Jordan Wogo's really fun. He's super, super raw. They're already adjusting. I saw on Instagram, his hands are coming up a little bit in his swing. He's like super raw, but like his numbers at Michigan are insane. Like he, he mashed, absolutely mashed. But 
it's a really raw swing. It's a little unorthodox, which I think scares away some scouts and maybe scared away me in a little bit in that respect, just because of how he swings. Like if you look at old video of like Aaron judge, I don't want to make this comp, but if you look at old video of Aaron judge, it's probably not the smoothest swing in the world. And you're like, wow, that guy's huge. He looks a little bit funny holding that bat. That looks like the size of like half his arm. You know what I mean? And Nuogu is a similar perspective where it's like, okay, he's huge, but like the swing's a little bit awkward because it's a little bit raw and it's like, let's see, you know, how this develops against major league pitching and major league hitters, or excuse me, major league pitchers facing him and such. Uh, Luke Little, I'm going to pass it to you, man, all you. Okay, well, my, <laughs> my question, you know, first I want to ask you about Jordan Wogu because yeah. you, you talk about how big he is and what we've seen him on, on Instagram and with all his workout videos. And, you know, workouts aren't official unless you put them on Instagram. If they're not on social media, then you didn't work out. But when, exactly. when you look at, at this cat, is the awkward swing, does that come from maybe being a, a little muscle bound? Or is it just the fact that he has a very mechanical swing like that? And maybe he just does need to put those hands up a little bit more and get that, that barrel through the zone a little bit, a little bit uh, quicker. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't know how accurately I'd be able to answer that, honestly, like the, okay. the how of why hitters who are a little bit raw are raw. I would guess it's a reps thing, but Norgo kind of runs against that because he has a really good sample at Michigan. So sure. some college, like some colleges in general have like a type of hitter. You'll see like the Stanford hitter is something that's mentioned. I think there's some other colleges that have like this idea of their hitter, which are if you go back a little bit, it's really like flat plane swings, contact based approaches, and everyone does the same thing in a lineup. And you'll see that that's sometimes hard to train out of a guy when they jump to pro ball. So I don't know if no, I don't know too much about Michigan specifically, but maybe that's something with their, them in general, but I think he's just a little bit of an outlier. Like, I just think it's tough. Like the, the hand movement thing is interesting because I actually thought that the hand movement lower was a little more natural. Like it reminded me a little bit of almost like a Jason Worth where he had his hands low and then he'd come up in his stance and swing. You had to, you had to go, um, had to go there, Lance. It's almost know, as if I he know. knew, sorry, Tony. Sorry. Yeah, Jason, Jason Worth beat me for the 1996 state championship in Illinois at Elfstrom Stadium. Thanks a lot, Lance. Yeah, I'm sorry, oh, sorry. Lance. Bringing back the memories. I didn't mean to do that. I had no <laughs> idea. <laughs> We'll see when you, you can watch it on stuff. YouTube though. We, we, we both look a little different. <laughs> That's so funny, but no, I just, I don't know why that came to mind for like a lower hand stance, but they brought, they actually brought him up. So I'm not exactly like, I'd love to talk to Justin Stone about this. Like I, I have to, you got to trust the Cubs player development in terms of what they're doing with him. And then Owen Cassidy's another one. I don't think I had an honorable mentions, but I know he's the last piece of the Darvish trade. He's a big lefty, huge power. I'd actually, I'm actually interested to see like their dichotomy as players in terms of how they develop because they're both power first outfielders with like big raw power like if you go down the instructs you go down to spring training and you happen to see any backfields play i imagine nuogu and cassie are two guys are going to be hitting balls into like other fields and like yeah. causing issues in that respect you know what i mean where they have to stop games because there's balls hit by these two guys but again sure. that's it's hard it's hard to develop that profile it's really difficult we see a lot of those guys fail and never make it and you never hear about those all you hear about is like the you know the miguel sanos and the aaron judges and these these large guys who make it but it's you never hear about the ones that don't and uh, I imagine the Cubs are trying to figure out how they can allow Nuogu and Cassie to make it to fit in the middle of the lineup long-term. Yeah, Tony, I thought he was going to go more with like Eric Davis with his hands a little bit lower in the batting stance. Yeah, and then he goes and pulls, really a, pulls a Jason Worth, the pride of Chad Glenwood of upside. out of his back pocket, <laughs> j just like that. All right, now let's get to Luke Little because this is a, yeah. the question that's been burning with me because, you know, I, I heard, you know, right around draft time, Luke Little, you saw him on the driveline video that this cat was throwing. I mean, absolute sand out there, 105 miles an hour. He's six foot eight. He's lefty, but I heard, oh, the, the 105, it's not a real 105. It's only 101, and he's got a bad body. But at last look, the kid's 19. A lot of 19-year-olds do 19-year-old stuff and, and haven't fully committed themselves in the gym. So to have a bad body and be 19 years old and throw, you know, a, a real 101 and, and a fraudulent 105, I would like to think that Luke Little's probably in a pretty good position right now. No doubt. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that it's a great pick. I like what the Cubs are doing in terms of like almost coring the market on these high velocity lefties. Uh, yeah. With the velocity thing, that's tough. I know there's a lot of like, if you go to like a pro day event and any of these style things and they have like a rap Soto set up and then they have a stalker gun, which is like a radar gun. You generally see like those black boxes. that shoot The, the, the stalker is the long one though. Yeah, exactly. Give, give exactly. them the explanation, Lance. Let, let no, them know I'm, the difference in velocity on stalker and, and jugs. <laughs> 
That's exactly what I was going to say. No, I, oh. there's a velocity difference between the two of them. So generally you'll see, like, I think stalkers are about two, two miles per two. hour, three miles per hour. Absolutely. Hotter. So this is a big thing where like you're reconciling Trackman, Rapsodo and stalker velo. So I don't know what he threw. It was hard. I think that's fine. We can yeah. just agree on that. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you again, but yeah, yeah. the jugs gun is hotter or the stalker, because I thought it was always the stalker was two miles an hour slower. And the jugs was the quicker gun. I don't, I don't know what Rapsodo is. I'm, I'm just old. They didn't have those back in the day. No, yeah, I don't even know if they, I don't even know if jugs are standard anymore. Maybe that's just how they term them. But I, I've only ever heard like stalkers, stalkers, and I might be just too, too young for this, but stalkers, yeah. rep soda is like that box that they put in front of the mound that was like yeah. big two years ago. That is like an optical tracking system, which is a little bit more accurate. La Hawkeye that's been implemented in Major League Baseball is optical as opposed to Trackman, which is radar based. So that's why you get these differences in readings. But, um, yeah, I, I don't jugs. I, I've heard the name jugs. I've heard like the the brand name jugs. I don't exactly know whether that's like used by scouts. Like I think everyone kind of uses stalker. Or do you go to a pro day like this and then they give you yeah. like a rap soto output afterwards? That's literally like a PDF okay. that shows the velo, and that's probably the most accurate. But um, but I'm pretty sure Little was throwing with a stalker in the background. But it doesn't really matter if you're touching 105 on anything. Like that's insane. So yeah. we'll see. It's tough. Like a lot of these guys who are super young. Like we don't exactly know how many strikes they throw, which is it's hard. And this is the same thing with caraway as well but again we think that the cubs like command is something there's a whole nother podcast we could have on command development where where that's just like kind of behind like if you want to talk about like the black box of pitchers it's developing command it's, it's extremely difficult to do there's i've talked to other people in organizations who are mm-hmm. just like i want to come up with a way to train pitchers to throw pitches that they can just throw and have their movement dictate where the pitches go as opposed to trying to like spot a specific pitch just because like command is so difficult to train there's tools to use and like maybe they work maybe they don't we don't really know there's like command training balls which are like a little underloaded or overloaded and maybe they allow pitchers to kind of replicate and change the mechanics a little bit but like command pitchers man i i love them like this is why i love a guy like kyle hendricks just because it's like his command is superb but it's like i I imagine like it's it's difficult it's really difficult to train it so i just can't really bet on luke little turning into like a you know 14k per nine guy with like a sub three and a half four walk rate you know what i mean which is probably what you need to get that major league profile um it's just tough it's really hard he's really young too again we talk a lot of these guys like if you want to make the argument that he's top 20 i totally get it you put him at 2019 or something like that yeah. i have a tough time putting him above caraway just because caraway's experience again college pitcher he's done it for a little bit longer you know he's a little bit shorter but i i love like the what we call like vertical approach angle of his fastball it's gonna be really interesting the major league level um We'll see, man. I, I'm happy to let Cole, Luke Little be your top 20 guy. He'll be a 20 for you. Yeah, I'm going to put Luke Little at, at number 20. I mean, because at six foot eight, I mean, at 19. Yeah, he's huge. I mean, he's a huge kid. He, he, he might not even Throws be down. done growing yet. I mean, not yeah. only does it come with his physicality, getting in shape and doing all the little things. I mean, he could he could be six, nine and a half before it's all said and done. Who, who, who knows? I mean, Lance, I yeah. mean, you're, you're still a young man. You're probably still growing too. No, no, no. I'm not growing anymore. <laughs> I have my growth spur. I'm stuck at six, four. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Tony. Anything else from you, man? Or are you, or are you all, 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 all questioned out? No, all questioned out, tapped out. All right. Well, good stuff, Lance. Always good to see you, and uh, I can't wait to get back in studio and get this season ramped up, so you can give us some of those overlays, some of those sweet breakdowns. Absolutely. That my guy Sean Marshall is always shouting you out for. So anyone who watches Cubs live and Cubs post game live, and you hear Sean Marshall say, "All right, time now to get a little breakdown." Thanks to my boy Lance. Yes. That, that, that's Lance right there. Lance Sean's the man. I miss you guys a ton. Yeah, so much Absolutely, fun. Absolutely, man. Studio. Can't can't wait to get back in you and uh, give a tip of the cap to uh, Sherwin Williams for coming in personally and painting your room for you. It's 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 a great backdrop. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, the whole color palette here. That's right. Just yeah. c- Cubs, Cubs, red and blue. I, I like it. And that's gonna do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast, brought to you by Win Trust. Don't forget not only to download the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcast, but check us out on the Marquee Sports Network app as well, and you can listen to us and see us in the flesh. So for Lance and for Tony, I'm Cole Wright. We'll see you next time. Hope you enjoyed the show.